In John chapter 1, in verse 35, it's talking about John the Baptist, and it says, The next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is uh, when translated teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. And that was about the tenth hour, which I think is four o'clock in the afternoon, maybe. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And then the following day, Jesus uh, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So here were two men that, uh, by whatever means, found Jesus, but then they went and told other people, which in both cases happened to be their brother. And so this morning I would like to talk about everyday evangelism for the average Christian. And I'm not going to tell you how to uh, open the Bible and, and, and do a five-part study with someone. That's another subject for another time. I want to talk about simple things that you and I can do this afternoon without any training. The first thing that we've got to realize is that it's our responsibility to talk to, talk to other people. I know that in the religious world, uh, it's come about so that we think there's the, the, the clergy, the, the preachers, the evangelists, elders, and deacons, and they're supposed to work in the church, and then we're just supposed to come and, and participate. But that's not true. Every Christian is supposed to be a worker in the church. Jesus, or uh, the Bible constantly refers to us Christians as soldiers. It talks about our life as being a warfare that we're fighting against Satan. In Ephesians, it talks about putting on the armor of God. We are workers together. In John chapter 14 or 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, when you grow a plant, uh, say potatoes, farmers used to when they would uh, plant crops, and then they would have the harvest, and now they had something to eat and something to sell to make money, but they always kept back a part of it, and they would not touch it no matter how bad the winter got, and they would save it for next year so they could plant the next crop. And so they saved some, the Irish would save potatoes from the year before. The next year they would plant more potatoes. And what did they expect to get? More potatoes. I mean, that's just common sense. What, if you're a Christian and God has planted us, what does he expect to get from us? More Christians. And so it's our responsibility to talk to other people about Christianity. And this does not require any program in church. It doesn't require uh, an evangelistic minister. It doesn't require any training. Just like Andrew went and got his brother and uh, 
uh, the two, I can't remember the two names, Nathaniel, just like they went and got their brothers, we can go and get someone else. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, after the death of Stephen, it says that Paul wreaked havoc on the church, and it says uh, there arose a great persecution. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They had found the Messiah, they were excited about it, and they wanted to share it with everyone else. And so we should be too. We should be interested in sharing it with other people. The Bible says that the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, if I'm saved, well, let's back up a minute. If I've got cancer, and I find a doctor, in fact, there was a lady named Bonnie, uh, in Baytown and she did get cancer and she went to a Chinese doctor who uh, I think with herbs uh, cured her of her cancer and you know what Bonnie was happy about that and she tells other people about the fact that she was cured by cancer would anybody that got cured of cancer or some other disease not tell their friends would not say I found a doctor and he cured me how can we be saved and if we love our neighbors ourselves? not tell them about the salvation that we have. Heard the comedian one time, he said he had a friend, and his friend was a Christian. His friend said, I promise I'll never talk to you about Christianity. And at first the guy thought, well, cool. And then he got to thinking later, he said, heaven hog. <laughs> you know, someone that's hogging everything to themselves and refuses to share. He realized later that his friend was doing him no favor. Some of you have heard of the, the or seen the comedian's pen and teller. You know, I think teller's, Teller, I think, is the one that's small and quiet and says not a word, and Penn's the big one that does all the talking. Well, uh, Penn Gillette, I think, is his name. He, uh, he's an avowed atheist. I mean, he'll, he'll just tell you outright. But he also talks about the time, I believe after a show, when people come up to get autographs and get books signed and stuff, uh, a man gave him a Bible. And if I remember the story correctly, the man told you, Penn said, uh, I've been praying for you. And rather than being offended, Penn has, has written an article or in interviews, I've read an article, and he talks about how impressed he was with this man that cared enough about him to bring him a Bible and to pray for him. Now, who do you think is going to uh, have an effect on Penn? Someone that gets up and blasts atheist or this man that brought him a Bible says, I've been praying for you. It's our responsibility, if we love our neighbor, it's our responsibility to talk to them about Christianity. Jesus says, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. The church is not here for our entertainment. It's not to entertain the world. It's not a, a social club where we can say, well, I go to this church or I go to that church. The church is here for one reason, and that's to praise God and to save the lost. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 35. He says, told the disciples, he said, Do not say, there are still four months and then comes a harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white to harvest. And when we look around us, the world is ripe with people that need to be saved. The only problem is in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says that the fields are ripe, but the laborers are few. How sad 
I've got a cousin or a nephew that lives in the Plainview, Lubbock area, and I think he farms three or 6,000 acres. I think I figured that up, and that's equivalent, 10 square miles. How sad it would be if he worked all year and had good rains and abundant crop, and then he could not find anyone to har help him harvest, and all that stuff set out there in the field and rotted. Jesus says the fields are ready. There are people out there that want what Jesus has. There's just not enough workers. So my goal this morning is to get us to want to, to be one of those workers without any special training. Uh, one of the first things that we've got to do is that we've just got to be honest and realize that people are lost. In Matthew chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. And he explains that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So when you go out tomorrow, when you go to your job, uh, when you go to the grocery store, when you're watching a baseball game with thousands and thousands of people in the stadium, you just look at them for a second. Stand there th while you're checking out and look at all the people in Walmart and say to yourself, most of these people are lost. Jesus told the story about a rich man who ate very well every day. And outside his gate, back before welfare and stuff like this, there was a, a man named Lazarus who was poor and he was sick and he was full of sores. And he was hungry and he would like to have just had the scraps off the plate of the people that were eating in that rich man's house. And Jesus explains that they both died and went to Hades. You know, Jesus said on the cross when that one thief said to him, said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus died, when the thief died, they went someplace. Now, I can't find it on a map. But Jesus and the, rich, or the, the thief went someplace. And Jesus explained earlier that Lazarus and the rich man went the same place. And you remember the story. You remember how Jesus said that the rich man was in torment? And we always think of him being down because it says he lifted up his eyes to look at Lazarus. And Lazarus was in comfort. And Jesus did not call this a parable. Jesus, like I said, told the, the thief on the cross, said, today you'll be with me. They went, when their spirits left their body, they went somewhere. They went to the same place that Lazarus and the rich man are. And you've got to remember that, the, that Lazarus and the rich man, as far as we know, are still there. And after 2,000 years, that rich man is still suffering. And Lazarus is still comforted. And they're there awaiting judgment day when their spirit, when their bodies will be resurrected and every man will be judged and will go away with Jesus, you know, for eternity. Now here's what's scary. Is that you know people that have died that are with the rich man. I've got people in my family and I know how they lived the manner of life they lived and the fact that they didn't serve Christ. And just based on what Jesus has taught me, that's where they are. 
That's really hard to think about because they're there and there's nothing I can do now. Their, their fate is sealed. And you know people that if somebody doesn't say something, if they don't run into the right person, that that's where they're going. We need to look at the world and realize that the majority of people we know are lost. And we need to care about them. It's our responsibility. But the good news is we can do that. And it's not hard. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, and this is really the main part of what I want to talk about here. He says, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in six areas. In word, in what we say, in conduct, the way we act, um, in love, in spirit, in faith, the way we worship, and in purity. You know, how, how good a person we are. Sometimes we'll describe a friend that he is the best man I have ever met. Paul said, told Timothy, he said, don't let anyone despise your youth. How would they have despised Timothy's youth? They would have despised his youth if he claimed to be a Christian and then he lived an unchristian life. Paul said, in these six areas, you need to take care of yourself. If Timothy had neglected himself, the people would have a good reason to despise him. Uh, Ephesians, uh, talking about word, in Ephesians 4 and 29 Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Years ago when I lived in the town, we, a bunch of us were going to start uh, just getting more active and doing church work. And I had a co-worker that was in the hospital. I think, I think it turned out to be appendicitis or something. It wasn't extremely serious, but he was there for several days and, of course, uncomfortable. And so I called up this other guy at church. His my age. We were, I guess, in our 20s at the time. And I said, hey, do you want to go with me to visit Joe? He said, sure. So we went up to the hospital, and we visited Joe, and I don't really remember much. I don't really remember that much. What I remember, though, was when he got out of the hospital, and a week later he was back at work, Joe asked me, my coworker, he said, how do you know Bill? And I said, Bill and I have gone to church for a long time. He said, man, I used to work with Bill, and he could cuss like a sailor. And I was really shocked. Because here he was coming to church and being a good person, but Joe had worked with him and he knew he had a pretty nasty mouth. Now, which, which do you think had the bigger impact on my friend Joe? The fact that we visited him in the hospital or the fact that Bill was claiming to be a Christian and didn't live like one? Joe could see right through that. Paul said, you need to be an example in word, what we say. In Proverbs uh, a scornful person that's constantly criticized is not being the kind of person we want to be. What does scornful mean? Scornful means a person, if a person is scornful, that's someone that's always complaining, someone that's bitter, someone that's like just got hatred in their heart. Sometimes I get on social media and I see people, they just, they're just nasty about how they talk about the government or the police, just nasty, nasty Hey, you know, I hope you die. I hope you burn. And uh, just scornful just like that. Paul, uh, Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. We're supposed to be an example in the things that we say. We're supposed to be an example in our conduct. Are you a joyful Christian? Can people see it in your eyes? 
one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. If the Spirit is living in us, then we should exude joy. And yet you see some people that they just go around just pessimist, always negative, never a good word to say, scornful. As a Christian, people should be able to see that. First John, um, maybe, I can't remember what chapter, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has that we should be called the children of God. Is that not amazing? The first song that we led was Wonderful Story of Love. People should be able to see that in our lives. Another thing is confidence. We shouldn't walk around uh, timid and, and ashamed and embarrassed. And I realize that some people are outgoing and some people are quiet. But even a quiet person can have confidence. Hebrews chapter 13, Paul, or the writer says, Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Other people should be able to see that we have a a confidence about ourselves. We should have gratitude. Zig Ziglar called it an attitude of gratitude. Paul wrote Timothy that in the last days perilous times would come. And one of the things that was going to happen is that men were going to be unthankful. The Christians should be the opposite of that. Now, I'm, I'm a real tightwad, and I really, usually when Angie and I go out to eat, Angie will say, where do you want to go? And I say, I want to go someplace we don't have to leave a tip. <laughs> not, not that I don't like people, but I want to save money. I'd rather go to Jack in the Box and get tacos there than go to a Mexican restaurant and have to leave an extra 10 or 15 or 20%. But you know, the older I've gotten... And the more I see people do nice things for me, and the more you see rude people, the more I appreciate the nice people. And you call customer service, and, and the person's extremely helpful, and they're not rude to you, and you're just, you just really appreciate, and they help you solve the problem with your computer or whatever it is, you know, or getting cable turned on, turned on or fixed or turned off, and I just appreciate that. And the older I've gotten, the more I want to do something in return for the person that's done something for me. Something like on a phone call, sometimes all you do is just compliment them or leave a good review later. But like when I go out to a restaurant, um, I'm not boasting or bragging, but I like to leave 20% just almost all the time. Because that person's probably a college student, they're probably going to go home and study till late for their exams, or they got their mom that's got kids at home they've got to go home and take to, and they're uh, take care of, and they're working hard, and I, w- I want to do something for them. I appreciate the fact that they treated me well, and as Christians, we should be thankful, and it should show. Um, another area of conduct is the way we dress. Uh, we hear talk about being uh, modest apparel. I want to show you what immodesty is. Someone walks in and goes, if, if you catch someone's attention by the way you're dressed, 
And I'm not talking if, about if you're wearing a suit, if you've got a new haircut or whatever. But if people are talking behind your back, you know, you're walking and, and someone comes down the sidewalk and you, and you try not to look at them, but as soon as you're, they're past and they're out of earshot, you turn to your friend, you say, did you see them? <laughs> if something draws attention to you, then you're not modest. And usually when we talk about modest, we think about women in the clothes they wear. A man can be just as immodest as a woman. If, if you're drawing too much attention to yourself, if people are talking behind your back, if people look a second time, then that's immodest. I didn't write them down, but there's at least four different places in the Bible where Christians are commanded to live a quiet life. We're not supposed to draw attention to ourselves. Don't underestimate the power of uh, the way we dress and the way we conduct ourselves. In 1 Peter 3, he's talking to the wives and he says, Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they know what God's word says, they know what's in the Bible, but they don't do it. Even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, may be won or convinced by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And then Paul, or Peter goes on and says, don't let your beauty be the outward adorning, arranging the hair, etc., etc., but let it be the inward man. So one of the things we need to take care of in our conduct is that, that we're not immodest. I remember reading about a, a car wreck where uh, someone was trapped or the car was on fire or something and, and three people stopped and they got out of their cars and they were able to get this person out of the car and save their lives. They would have burned to death. And then they just got in their cars and left and, and no one knows who they are and they wanted to find them so they could say thank you. You know why the person didn't come forward? He was modest. He didn't want the attention on himself. And that's the way we Christians should be. The Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works but glorify God. Not glorify you and me, but see the way we live and then glorify God. And then like Peter said in, first, in chapter 3, uh, by your good conduct, they will be won over to Christ. Do not underestimate the, the first impressions that we get. Years ago when we first moved to, uh, moved to Gunner, Used to go to, I used to go into Walmart more often in Sherman. And I got to where I could recognize a good number of the cashiers because they, they stayed there long enough. And there was this young one, this one young woman, probably in her 20s, and she just really stood out because she was all of the things I'm talking about. She was cheerful. She was pleasant. She always had a smile on her face. She dressed nice. She took care of her hair. She, she had confidence. She was just a pleasant person. You had a choice of this cashier and this cashier, you would go over here because she was one of those people when they walk in the room, they brighten the room. And I noticed there was something special about her. And so one day, I just out of the blue asked her, where do you go to church? She said, I go to the Church of Christ in Allen. Without her ever saying a word, I could tell there was something different about her. And you've seen people like that. Most of you are like that. When you walk, there's one or two maybe, but most of you, when you walk in, it brightens the room. Don't underestimate uh, the impact we make on people. Heard it said that you can't judge a book by its covers, but you can sure jump to some conclusions. And uh, 
just the way people act. Uh, not always, but very often you can see what's inside by the way it comes out on the outside. So our conduct. Uh, one of the things that, moving on real quickly, one of the things that Paul told Timothy was in our faith. Uh, our faith would be our Christianity. We need to walk the walk and talk the talk. Heard a man talking about his wife was a nurse, and uh, she had a coworker, and the coworker was telling telling this other nurse that she had been on a shift with a, another nurse, and it was a, in the ER, and it was a long, hard shift. And this other nurse was just being snarky and hard to get along with, and short and not polite. And when they went on break, this snarky nurse had the audacity to try to talk to the first nurse about her Christianity. And the first nurse said, I can't believe the, after the way she treated me, she tried to talk to me about Christianity. She said that was an instant turnoff. So our, our faith, uh, it should be the same tomorrow as it is right now. Um, other things as far as uh, our faith is forgiveness, gratitude we already talked about. Purity, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 talks about the fact that we should put off concerning our former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. If we're not different from the people we work with, we're not going to have any influence on them. Talked about earlier about the guy I took with me to the hospital, and my friend later told me he could cuss like a sailor. That was an embarrassing spot for me and an embarrassing spot for Jesus. Okay, now, how do we, once you got the proper appearance and people get a good impression of you and the life that you're living, how do we evangelize? Well, the first thing that we've got to do is pray. I talked earlier about realizing that people were lost. One of the verses that has always stuck out to me in all 42 chapters of Job is Job chapter 1 and verse 5. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. I'm talking about his seven sons and his three daughters. He would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job regularly. Now all of us, we pray and we thank God for our food and we ask God to forgive us for our sins and, and whatever we pray to God for. Here's a man that was not only concerned about himself, but he regularly offered sacrifices for his children because they may have sinned. When you read the Gospels, the letters of Paul, he continually says, that you are in my prayers. I continually pray for you. I pray for this and I pray for that for you. We uh, had what we call a shepherd's prayer and we talked about some people that, that have cancer and, and uh, just a lot of really serious bad situations. And that's good that we pray for them. We're, that means our heart's in the right place. But it occurred to me one time that if I pray for my friend that's got cancer and his cancer is cured and then he lives another 20 years and then dies and is lost all that did was 
put off 20 years of being with the rich man, you know, in torment. So now I still pray for people's cancer to be healed. And when Yancey's praying, I, you know, I say, you know, please, if it's your will, heal his cancer. And I pray that he'll be saved. Maybe I can be the person or you or maybe just somewhere he can run into the person that can convert him to Christ because that's the most important thing. Jesus asked a question. He said, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What is a man profited if he overcomes an illness and is still lost? That's the most important thing. So like Job, we need to pray. Christianity needs to be a part of our everyday conversation. Talk about what happened in church. Talk about the lesson tomorrow. I was at church yesterday and I heard a guy say this. Or I was talking to a guy at church. Don't be ashamed of it. You know, the thing that amazes me is you can go into a restaurant and people used to, men, when they cuss, they didn't do it around women and children. And you'll be sitting there with your kids or your grandkids and, and over there there's a man. So I was driving down the road and I saw this blankety blank blank pulled out and blank blank. <laughs> can you talk a little quieter? My kid, even on the radio. You know, Rush Limbaugh and these guys, they used to not use profanity. Now you can't. Listen to a lot of radio programs because with your kid in the car because no telling what will come out of their mind. If these people are not ashamed to use God's name in vain in public, we shouldn't be afraid to use God's name in the proper way in public. Let it be a part of your everyday conversation. I've talked in the past about putting a rocking shoe. We were in Ireland and I had these, got some kind of hiking boots because they were more comfortable. We did a lot of walking. In two weeks, we walked 41 miles at least. And one day, I had this little bitty rock in my shoe, but maybe not even as big as a BB, but we're trying to catch the bus, and we'd hurry, so I didn't stop, and then, uh, just, and then it'd go away, and then it'd come back, and I said, man, i got to stop. And after about 30 minutes, I finally got to a place where I could stop and undo my shoe and get the rock out. When you got a rock in your shoe, you can't quit thinking about it. And here's what you need to do. You need to put a rock in other people's shoe. Ask them a question. Ask them, find out where they go to church and, and say, you know, I heard that, that and don't, don't attack them, I heard that this church teaches this. But I read in the Bible that says this. What about that? And, and don't pressure them. And just, and they say, I don't know, I have to think about that. And then all week long, they'll remember that. It'll go away, and then that thought will come back. You know, why do we do this? Why do we practice this? Why do we believe this? And they go to church next Sunday, and they hear the preacher say something, and they go, that doesn't sound right. You got them thinking. And then the next time, when they run into Mike or Yancey or someone else, they can say, you go to Church of Christ, don't you? You go, yeah. I says, what do you all teach about this? You got them to thinking. Put a rock in someone's shoe. Remember when another point when talking to people, you don't have to hit a home run. Most points scored in a baseball game are not from home runs. Someone gets on first, another player gets on first, and that player goes to second. Maybe the bases get loaded, and then another single, and that guy gets home. Maybe he steals. Just one at a time. You don't have to go out and talk to people saying, man, I want this person to be a Christian, but I don't know how to do it. All you got to do is get to first base. That's a scriptural uh, concept. Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the increase. It was a team effort to get this person to be a Christian. Paul initiated it. Apollos continued it. Maybe someone else continued And they were finally uh, converted. All you got to do is get the first base. Used to, uh, in church, I don't know, maybe times were harder, so men were harder. But used to, people would just come out and say, if you're not a member of church, you're going to hell. And that offended so many people. They said, I will never again set foot in the, in the church of Christ. I will never again talk to a church of Christ person. But uh, if, if we make someone mad and they close their mind, then when they meet Mike, oh, you're church of Christ. I don't want to talk to you. Mike can't talk to someone now because of what you said two years ago. We never, never want to be offensive. If, if we make someone mad, we both lose. Let people be, or you need to be involved in people's lives. After church today, we're going to say pretty much the same things that we always say. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How was your week? My week was good. I like the weather, blah, 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 blah. And it's not until we sit down and eat, play games, go over to their house, go fishing with someone, that we get into those deeper conversations and get to know someone. One of the, of all the criterias for an elder, one of them is that an elder is hospitable. And not just for a, a, uh, an elder, but for all Christians. You invite someone into your house, you can get to know them. They see how you conduct yourself at home, they see how you talk to your kids, how your kids talk to you. Danielle recently said, she named two people, I can't remember the second one. She, there's a family near us that's got 10 kids. They range in age from about 20 to a baby, and they're all homeschooled. And the, the mom's name is Carmen, and Danielle says, I love to be around Carmen, because you know Danielle, she's like a high-strung horse. <laughs> and she says, I like to be around Carmen. I like to see how she's patient with her kids and how she talks quietly to them. It's a good influence on me. And so you, in turn, need to be a good influence on people. Invite them into your house. Take them out to eat. Go fishing with them. Do something so they can be around you and they may open up to you. Um, and then let other people get involved in your life. Angie was telling me about two different examples of Christians helping some, in both cases, young women. And they were amazed that once they got involved with an older Christian woman and started talking about the problems that this girl was having and how she needed to do things, both of these people were flabbergasted to find out the problems in the church. The marital problems, the problems we have with our teenagers, uh, just whatever. We all have problems. But now we look really nice and we're dressed nice and we walk in and say, oh, I could never be like him or her. But people need to realize that we're just like them. There's only one difference, and that is that we're forgiven. We've done the same stupid things. We say the same stupid things. We leave undone the same things. We're no different. You know, if you go to a doctor with a problem, the, the last word you want to hear the doctor say is, gee, I've never seen this before. <laughs> what you want to hear the doctor say is, I see this all the time. 
here's what you need to do. I thought this was going to be really serious. And a person who's not a Christian needs to know, and the Christians need to know this too, that they're not the only ones. Paul said, there's no temptation that you face that everybody else hasn't faced. And it's really, really comforting for a non-Christian to see that you are no better than them. For all their sins and failures and faults, they'll fit right in with us. Here's, here's something you need to use. Feel felt found. Someone says something, and this works with Christians, not just with non-Christians. I know exactly how you feel. I used to feel the same way until I found out. Or I used to be the same way until. That gives the other person hope. That lets other people know that they've walked in, in your shoes or someone has walked in their shoes. Feel felt found. Um, so here's the things. I'm not going to tell you how to get into deep conversations with people. I'm not going to tell you how to do Bible studies and turn to this verse and that verse. We have applications today, and the rest of you men can talk about that. But these are things you can do right now. And most of these things you're probably already doing. But we need to go in with the attitude that I want this person to be saved and, and work in that direction. We need to put a rock in their shoe. We need to get on first base. We need to get involved in people's lives, and we need to get them involved in our lives. And I want to show you one other thing. Kyle, would you help me out? I won't embarrass you. Come on up real quick. I won't embarrass you. I'm not. Kyle and I are going to have a conversation. Now, we can either already be friends like we are, or maybe he's someone I met at work, or cashier at Walmart, and, and we, we just get in a conversation. Where are you from, Kyle? Arkansas. Arkansas, really? What part? Fort Smith. Fort Smith. I know some people. Where do you go to church there? Wheeler, Wheeler. Who are some people that go to church there? Jay Lloyd. I've heard of him. How long have you known Jay? My whole life. Really? Did you grow up going to church there? I did. Okay. All right. Thanks. That's all. And I found out, not, we could have gone on longer, but I found out quite a bit about him right then. And what did I do? I didn't tell him a single thing. I didn't quote a Bible verse to him. All I did was ask questions. And if you will ask questions of people, your friends, your co-workers, you'll get to know them. You'll get to find out things about them. And the one thing that people like to do is talk about themselves. You can carry on a 30-minute conversation and never talk about yourself. The other person, if you're not being nosy, if you're not being rude, the other person will just open up because people like to talk about what's important to them. And then you can learn about people. You can find out about their needs. And when people find out that you're interested in them, then they're more receptive. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So these are things that all of us can do right now. And the church will grow if we'll start doing these things. One last thought, and then I've got a closing verse. We're often scared that when we talk to people about Christianity, they will say no. And we don't like rejection. But you know what we're doing? We're looking for the people who are looking for us, the church. 
that's all we're looking for. You go fishing and you want to catch bass and you get the right lure, you go to the right spot in the lake, the right time of day, the right time of the year, when the water is the right temperature, and you start casting that lure just right. And there's a lot of fish out there that aren't going to bite. There's the carp and the, the, the catfish and the perch that you don't want. But you keep doing things just right, and you're going to get that bass. You're going to get that fish that you're out there fishing for. We're looking for the ones that are looking for us. Paul said it is a fearful, th or Hebrews it says it, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And we don't want anyone to be lost. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of God, we persuade men. And so that should be our goal as we leave here, to save other people. So that's all I've got. We always offer a song of encouragement. Um, if there's a change you need to make in your life, decide now to make that change. We don't have forever. We don't know when the end's going to be. If you've got a change to make, decide to make that change while we sing.